entitled For Worse. I want to spend several weeks here talking about marriage, especially marriage in the, in the more difficult seasons of, of life. We said for better, for worse, but most of the time when we're young and we make that promise, we have no idea how difficult life and marriage can become, but pretty soon we find out. Um, this Tonight, this Wednesday, and the next Wednesday, I want to spend some special time just talking about uh, the issues and challenges related to blended families. And, and tonight, I want to talk about remarriage or second, third marriages, uh, th- th- that sort of thing. Um, some statistics for you. Uh, this is the world we live in. Half of all adults today are either single, single again, or single parents. Half. Of all adults in the United States are either single, single again, or uh, single parents. The other half, of course, are married. Other half are married. But of that, of the half that are married, half of those are married and now in step families, which means these are second marriages uh, and blended families. So half of all uh, married families these days are, are second marriages and, and blended families. Does that surprise you? Does statistics surprise you? Uh, I think you walk around enough to know that that's the reality. Um, The divorce rate for everybody is pretty high, but the divorce rate for second and third marriages is much higher, much higher. And the failure rate for blended families is is way more than the majority. Uh, So the the, the fact of the matter is second, third marriages are are challenged in in a really difficult way. And step-parents, step-children, blended families are difficulties that that some of us would hardly understand. And and yet, uh, this is a a growing segment of our population and a growing segment in everybody's church. So the interesting thing is, uh, when I started looking back, I've never really preached anything to blended families about second or third marriage. I've never said anything about that, even though a good number of our congregation w- w- would fall into that category. When I did a, a search of other pastors' sermons, you can search the internet, I don't find any sermons, uh, anything at all that, that addresses these needs. So let me just ask you, how should the church respond Because so far, I don't think most of our churches have. We haven't had anything to say, for the most part, uh, to this growing majority of families. I mean, this is the reality of family life ever since the Brady Bunch or before. You understand? Um, What's the church's responsibility? Is it it okay that we have nothing to say uh, to half of the families these days, even those that are in our own congregation? How do we respond? Why has it been so hard for us to respond so far? I think you did on the nail Sunday when you talked about the triangle. In order for a marriage to stay together, it has to be in a triangle. If yeah. the person is out of the triangle, it's going to cause that marriage to fail. Yeah, we talked about how marriage is a, a triangular covenant. It's an agreement between three partners, and God is the most important partner. He is the source and the one that sustains the marriage. Absolutely. Is that also true for a second marriage or or for a blended family? Is God also a partner in that covenant? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Why have we been so slow to say that? Yeah, we didn't want families to divorce in church, Renee, so we tried to stop it. How did we try to stop it? Yeah, by just really, really beating up on divorced people. 
Yeah, y'all remember, have y'all been around long enough to, to just remember that? And again, I say that with some understanding and sympathy. Uh, when that divorce epidemic started in the 60s, especially in the United States, churches just went into panic mode. They wanted to do something to help families stay together, to stop people from divorcing. But the only idea that churches had was just to really punish divorced people. And so those who were divorced became sort of marked sometimes, even in our churches. And we made it very difficult for them to come back to church. We made it difficult for them to, to serve. We made it very, very difficult on divorced people. And as a result, we really haven't had much to say with anything pertaining to the person, divorced person's life. And that would involve their new marriage. We've had very little to say. Um, So what do we say now? We still want to keep families together. We we want families to to survive and and we want blended families to survive. If this is your second marriage, your third marriage, we want this marriage to work. We want, we want you to get it right. And we need all of us to learn how to get this right. And so let's look at the word tonight. We're going to open up the Bible to Genesis chapter 21 and talk about remarriage tonight. Next week, we'll pick up the whole idea of step parenting and what it really means to try to become a parent to somebody else's kids. Talk about that next week. But tonight, let's talk about that remarriage, that, 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 that second marriage. One of the reasons we haven't said much about it is, is for a long time, and, and probably even now, some of us have a really hard time trying to figure out if it's okay to get married again after you have been divorced. And I know that a lot of us probably are very skeptical. We feel like divorce is a sin. And there are scriptures that say that if a person is divorced uh, and they remarry, that they make that woman an adulteress. At the same time, and I'll talk about this in detail in two weeks. At the same time, let's suffice it tonight to say that, that Jesus, Paul, there are situations, biblical situations in which divorce seems to be permissible. And I think Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 makes it pretty clear that in situations where divorce is permissible, then remarriage would be permissible. Uh, Paul says you're not bound, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. So tonight, let's just uh, acknowledge that in certain situations, that remarriage is probably justifiable or even permissible. Uh, so let's forego that discussion tonight. We'll come back to it in a couple of weeks when I do with 1 Corinthians 7. Tonight, let's just recognize that these second marriages are among us, and let's help each other. Uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 21, start in verse 8. Uh, This is not a good example. I know that, but it's the closest thing to a blended family you'll have in Scripture, and this is a blended family, all right? Genesis 21, verse 8. I acknowledge that this is a mess, but but we'll we'll deal with it and we'll go. Uh, Genesis 21, verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion, all right? We're getting into a family. Who is Isaac? Who is Abraham? Abraham is... He's the father. He's a patriarch. Who is Isaac? He's his son. But now it's, you know, you know Abraham's got several baby mamas here. Uh, y- y- y'all know. So Abraham has two wives. Long story. But their names are Sarah and Hagar. Yeah, it's a mess. It's a mess. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah, his first wife. And then uh, Ishmael is the son of Hagar and Abraham, kind of his second wife, all right? So y'all get in the picture? Let's read it. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? It's like her stepson. Y'all with me? 
It's, it's Hagar's son. Era saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham and her Egyptian servant Hagar, making fun of her son Isaac. So she turned to Abraham and demanded, get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you, for Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Hagar's son, because he's your son too. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders, and he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush, she went away and sat down by herself about a hundred yards away. I don't want to watch this boy die, she said as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boys. He grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. We'll stop there. Again, I apologize, and you're probably thinking, that's the best blended family you can find in the Bible? Well, yep. Why is that? Why is it that the... That the Best illustration I could come up with is a really awful illustration. That's an awful portrait of a family. That's pretty bad, y'all. Why didn't I pick out, you know, the Brady Bunch? Here's a story of a lovely lady. Yeah. Remember? Man, that was good. Yeah, nobody has a perfect life. But this is the Bible, Tim. The Bible. Yeah, nothing was perfect, yeah, except certain families. Some of the families are perfect, right? Name one. In the Bible, name a, name a just a, a really perfect traditional family in the Bible. Name one. Claude says there aren't any. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus? There were a lot of rumors, y'all, about Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. You need to read, the, read it now. A lot of rumors. Also, it appears that Joseph died while Jesus was young. So, for the biggest part of Jesus' life, it's possible he was raised by a single mom, y'all. You, you get that? By the time Jesus is an adult, Joseph is dead. He's gone. So, at some point, Jesus is raised by a single mom, it looks like. Yeah. And you just start looking through the Bible, and, and every single family in the Bible is, is not picture perfect. There's not a single one that you point to and go, there it is. There's the, there's the model family right there. So the reason the, the only example of a blended family I could come up with is negative is because there really aren't any healthy families depicted in Scripture, blended or not. You, you with me? And it's simply because there aren't any perfect people. All right? But I offer this as sort of an example of, of a blended family. Uh, is, is it a good analogy? Is there anything about this family in, in Genesis 21 that, that would be analogous to a, to a blended family today? Is it similar in any way or is it just too different? 
they were a part of a, they were the step family. Wow. Yeah. So is there anything in this scripture that, that reminds you of that? Or you think this scripture is just too different to, to speak? Yeah, because Hagar and Ishmael are eventually just put away. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Is it mostly similar or mostly different from today? Yeah, I don't know about always, but it's got to always be a likelihood, the possibility of jealousy. Yeah, you can hear it now in the way Sarah talks. What does she say? Now, y'all, by the time we get to Genesis 21, Hagar's been in this family for 16 years or so. It's not like she just got there. This family's been in this situation for at least 16 years. And yet, when you push Sarah in this emotional meltdown, what does she say? Get that woman out of here and take her, take her son with you. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's no real sense of connection there. Yeah, mostly similar, mostly different. Of course, the main difference is, is the, the, the practice of polygamy. Polygamy, what is polygamy? Yeah, more than one wife, more than one wife. And in the Old Testament culture, it was both legal and somewhat common for a man to have more than one wife. What would a man do with more than one wife? <laughs> Willie. Amen. Or Orange's not here, but that does not mean you get to misbehave tonight. What's, is there an advantage to having more than one wife? I got one, y'all. I stay, it's a full-time job. Why would men in the Bible, why would they want more than one wife? Good night. I love the one wife I have, but I can't imagine two, three. What, David had like a hundred? Yeah. Can you explain it? I think they were all just slaves to a man back then. No, you can't, just because your husband is here, you can't, you can't. Yeah. Mom makes a good point. Uh, the women didn't have a, 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 a fantastic place in the family or in the society. In some cases, they were more or less like slaves. Yeah. David had a harem. King David would have had a harem. And understand, he's got all of these wives, but he ain't living with them. They're in some harem room, like on the other side of the palace, and he just gets to like spin the wheel and pick out which one comes and shares his bed, if he even wants one in his bed. I mean, you understand? I mean, it's not the kind of marriage that you hold up and say, man, that's a lucky man or that's a lucky girl. You know, no. In many cases, the wives of the king were more or less like sex slaves. And I mean that literally. That's what they were for in many cases. So it's not the kind of marriage that we hold up as any kind of, of ideal. But, but recognize in the culture where polygamy, multiple wives, was both legal and, and, and somewhat common, divorce was not common. Divorce was, was not something that was, that, was, that was considered permissible. You didn't divorce women. 
And so instead of, you know, if you got displeased with the wife, you really didn't put her out. That was considered shameful and cruel to the woman. I mean, she has nowhere to go in the ancient culture. There's no one to take care of her if her husband puts her out. So rather than put her away, they just kept her. He would just add another wife that would please him. Do you understand? So in the case of Abraham and Sarah and, and Hagar, how does Hagar get brought into this? Yeah, because Sarah is unable to have children, and they want children. And so someone comes up with an idea, well, let's just bring in another wife, one that can have children. Whose idea was that? Sarah, yeah. I wouldn't bring that up today, you know, that it was her idea, but it was her idea. Bring in another wife. Just get you, let's get, let's get somebody, let's get fertile Myrtle in here and, 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 and get us a baby. Yeah, Sarah's idea was to let another wife come and have the baby with the understanding that that baby would belong to Abraham and Sarah. Understand? Sarah had every intention of raising this boy, loving this boy as her own. So it's a, it's a, it's a polygamous culture. A man can have more than one wife at the same time, but understand polygamy was common and legal. Divorce was not. But in our culture, what's different? Polygamy is not legal or common, unless you're in Utah, but divorce is, okay? So now we can have lots of divorces. You can divorce rather pretty easily, or at least legally speaking. And so since divorce is common, polygamy is not, and polygamy is not legal. But understand, in our culture, you can have what I would call serial polygamy. What's that mean? Serial polygamy, yeah. You don't have lots of wives at once, but you might have lots of wives in a lifetime, just one after the other. It's a serial, understand? Not all at the same time, but, but you can have multiple wives in your lifetime because of divorce. So in that sense, if you start looking at this story, there's probably more commonality than you first thought. Sarah's the first wife. Hagar's the second wife. Both of them, baby mamas. He's got two kids, one with two separate wives, and, and they're struggling to live in, in this blended family situation. So I, I think there are things to learn. So what are some of the issues? Look at some of the issues in this family that you might see in a, in a second marriage today. Let's just talk about the marriage. What are some of the issues in this passage that you see? Yeah, the, the kids don't get along. This whole thing starts because what? Verse 9 Sarah saw Ishmael making fun of her son. Yeah, at the birthday party. Yeah, Ishmael gave Isaac the finger, and Sarah melts down. Yeah, how dare he? That's my son. What? They're both your sons, aren't they? Well, well, it gets complicated, doesn't it? It's complicated. I mean, they're both her sons, kind of, but Isaac's really her son, you know? And in her mind, Ishmael's Hagar's son. Yeah, how dare he? How dare he make fun of my son? Yeah, Claude. Doesn't part of this also hinge on the fact that Sarah knows that Ishmael, the older he gets, the closer he's going to come to getting that first inheritance, that two-thirds of that inheritance, rather than just a part of it. Let's also remember that every time Abraham moves or does anything, he grows in terms of wealth. This is not a poor man. Yeah. A man that has quite a bit of 
Yeah. But I think a lot of yeah, there's some finance, financial calculations going on here, too. And, and Sarah wants to make sure her son gets his part, or more than his part. Yeah, yeah. So there are issues with the kids. There are always issues with the kids. And, and, and even in the best of, of blended families, you just can't really ever get past the fact that some of these are my kids and some of these are your kids. Um, you can't change that. Yeah, and I think that makes it hard. I guess let's just acknowledge that they're imperfect people. We said that up front, that the Bible doesn't have any perfect families because there aren't any perfect people. And so these are very imperfect people. And part of what I love about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't present us, you know, some sort of, you know, spray-painted saints that look perfect. I mean, these are people just like us. And, and, And this family is a mess. I mean, Abraham may be a great man and the father of a great nation, but, but he's, he doesn't have it all together. And apparently that's not a requirement. He does not have it all together. And, and, and Sarah is probably a good lady most of the time, but she's got some days where you just better not even be near her. Don't cross her path. You know, she will, she will flat fly up in you and get you out. I mean, these are imperfect people. Imperfect people uh, with poor conflict resolution skills. Can we just say that up front? This is poor conflict resolution. Now, in, in any situation where there's a blended family, understand most of the time those families at least have some history of, 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 of marital failure, uh, grief, loss. You know, so somehow that blended family always has a story and there's always some kind of loss, some sort of grief, maybe some sort of failure back there. And so sometimes you may indeed have two partners, uh, one or even both of them, who haven't learned how to resolve conflict, how to, how to really forgive and get along. And, and, and that's the next thing I would say. Most of us don't learn well. So even though you've gone through a marriage and that marriage didn't go well, did you learn anything? And most of the time we don't learn anything. And we repeat the very same problems that got us in the first mess. We don't learn anything from our lives. It's really funny. That's not funny. Funny is the wrong word. Interesting. That, that if you watch somebody who's been married a long time and, and then they get divorced, and they may have been married 20 years, but as soon as they get divorced and if they start dating again, they will date exactly like they dated back when they were single. And that may have been 30 years ago. So it's really funny. The, the lady who gets a divorce and, and you hear the story and she says, yeah, you know, I probably just married him too fast. I, I, I met him at the rodeo, you know, and he took off his hat and I just fell in love. And, you know, we ate supper and got married. And you think, wow, okay, I bet she'll learn something. And then the next thing, she's in my office saying, I was at the rodeo, and I met this guy, and he took off his hat. You know, I mean, literally, you know, the woman who married the first guy that she saw will turn right around and marry the, the next first guy she sees. You know what I'm saying? Or she marries a guy who, who drinks and beats her, and, and what will she marry the next time? Another guy that, that, that drinks and, and abuses her. It, it's like we never, ever learn anything from our lives. People will call and say, Pastor Tim, do you, you marry divorced people? I say, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you. I marry a lot of divorced people. I will. But I won't make a promise to marry all divorced people. I don't make a promise to marry everybody who calls me. I don't care divorced or not. I want to talk to you. And in many cases, when I'm talking to, a, to someone who's been married before, 
it turns out to be a, a marriage that I don't feel good about, about being the pastor for. And it usually has to do with this. Are, are there, uh, is there baggage that you're bringing into this next marriage? Are, are there things you've never learned? Are there patterns that are still repeating? Are, are you learning anything from your life? If you look at Abraham and Sarah's story, for example, they make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. Abraham doesn't seem to learn anything from his life. You have imperfect people who don't seem to be learning anything at all. You notice that Abraham and Sarah had this difficulty, this pain in their life, this, this infertility, which a number of us have dealt with. It's, it's a very difficult and painful thing. And Sarah was desperate to end that pain. So what was her idea? Yeah, let's, let's just bring in another woman. Let's, let's, let's get let's, second marriage, understand? And for a lot of people, that second marriage is, is, is just uh, quick pain relief. It's quick pain relief. You get a person who's been in a difficult marriage, and they could really be just emotionally starved. And you add kids into that picture. You got a single mom or a single dad, and, and they've been neglected in their marriage, or their marriage was very difficult, and now they're single again, and they go home, and they're overwhelmed with kids, and then they, they meet somebody. And there is this incredible relief because you finally met somebody who, who you can relate to and who seems to understand you because she just got divorced too and she's got kids too and she really seems to get you. And that sense of connection, that, that sense of understanding, I mean, it's intoxicating and you feel so good so instantly, let's just get married. And it's really, really quick pain relief, but it doesn't last long. Because blended families, a second marriage, these things are very, very complicated. Really complicated. You can see right here in this story, part of the complication is, uh, you know, somebody else's ex-spouse. You know, Hagar comes into this because Abraham proposed. But you still got Sarah in the picture. Man, I mean, how many of you could tell stories about your husband's ex-wife? She crazy, y'all, she crazy. You know, she come around at night with a baseball bat to our mailbox, kaboom, you know, had her car parked in a church parking lot. She came and put her combat boot right through the sunroof, boom, she's crazy, y'all. If you see her coming, Pastor Tim, if you see my ex-wife coming, call the police immediately. Yeah, true story. <laughs> crazy, y'all. Yeah, I mean, somebody else's ex-spouse is usually crazy, or at least when you listen to them tell the story, man, her ex-husband, man, he's crazy. I mean, you know, he was on Crime Stoppers last, last, you know, I mean, somebody else's ex is in the picture. That gets really complicated. E even if he turns out to be a great man, even if, if everything seems, you know, pretty good relationships, it's still really complicated that the ex is, is out there walking around Walmart somewhere. And then as we said, you got somebody else's kid in the picture. I mean, you may learn to love your stepdaughter, your stepson, but you got to admit that's it's complicated and it's really complicated for the kids. I mean, after all this time, I don't think Ishmael and Isaac ever really figured out what in the world they were to each other. You know, it's just really really complicated. So in verse 10, finally Sarah just has a meltdown. What causes it? I mean, Sarah goes off. What causes that? 
There's jealousy involved, jealousy of perhaps Abraham and Hagar, jealousy of Ishmael, her stepson, jealousy. What else? What did you say? Yeah, just stress. Yeah, stress of all this mess. This house ain't big enough for two wives, two teenage boys. Yeah, she kind of created this mess herself. There could be some guilt involved with that. It was, the whole thing was her idea. She wrecked a lot of lives, it seems. Yeah, it's her idea. There could be some guilt involved, but uh, I guess we can just say uh, the complexity is overwhelming. It just became a situation that Sarah herself could really no longer tolerate. And once more, her solution's not the best solution. It's not a good solution, but it brings her quick relief. Get her out of here. Get that boy out of here. And, and, and that is uh, the, the solution, it, it seems. Would it be possible for this family ever to live in peace? Let's just put, bring it closer to our day, closer to our home. Could a blended family actually live in harmony and peace? I mean, not all blended families are, are like this, but the same issues are there. If somebody else's ex-spouse, you have somebody else's kids in many situations, you have money issues. You have people who are imperfect, who, who maybe have a pattern of not really resolving conflict well, who, who maybe rush into quick solutions too easily. It's, it's really complicated. Is there any way to find harmony and peace in that, in, in this new marriage? Can it happen? Of course it can. How? Yeah, just like we said Sunday, it's, it's a triangular covenant, and God's a partner. Yeah. Again, maybe because the church hasn't been a very good partner, it's harder for these families to understand that God remains a faithful partner to you. But God is there for you, and God wants to see this family work. God has a, a dream yet for your family and for your marriage. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever doubt that. Somebody else's hand was up. What do you want to say? Somebody? Yeah. How does it work? Adrian. Ishmael is the first son, but Sarah's the first wife. Yeah. Yeah. She wants her son to have the birthright. Yeah, it, it's just complicated. Yeah. I, I, think, I think before you can really find harmony, you really have to, in some ways, accept that complexity. This is what it is, and you have to accept it. There are a, a lot of relationships that have to be sorted out here. And every single one of these relationships is a potential trap for your marriage, a, a, a potential target, a, a potential uh, threat for, for the happiness and harmony of your family. You, you need to be aware of, of this intricacy and complexity of relationship. In this particular story, you got Hagar's relationship with Abraham and Hagar's relationship with Sarah, which never seems to have been ironed out, and Hagar's relationship with her son, and Hagar's relationship with Sarah's son, and and Ishmael's relationship to Isaac, and Ishmael's relationship to his mother, and Ishmael's relationship to his stepmother, and Ishmael's relationship to his father.
father, and Abraham's relationship to his first wife, and Abraham's relationship to his second wife, and Abraham's relationship to his son by Sarah, and Abraham's relationship to his son by Hagar. Do you see how complicated this gets? It is complicated. And every single one of those relationships is a relationship that has to be acknowledged and honored. You cannot just live as if your ex-wife doesn't exist. You cannot just live as if your kids never have to deal with their birth father. Chances are they do. This complexity is not something that you can just wish away. It is the reality of your family. And all of these relationships have to be acknowledged and honored. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, just as a reminder. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Says this. This applies to your blended family. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. You don't know my ex-wife. I don't have to know your ex-wife. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. You haven't heard what my stepdaughter said to me. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead... Pay them back with a blistering, a blessing. Pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. What's that mean? Pay them back with a blessing. Where's that blessing going to come from? Oh, God will grant you his blessing. Yeah. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. Cloth. Yeah. But there seems to be some severing here. Yeah. Yeah. Claude's bringing up a really good point. Why is this story even in here? It's a messed up family. Got to work to explain this whole story. Why is it even in there? Yeah. 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 Waited on God and His plan. What, what's your point, Karen? My point is they were impatient. <laughs> yeah. I, I, impatient. They wanted to help God long, and so they got Hagar. Yeah. Again, the story about this messed up family is in the Bible because it's not about this messed up family, y'all. What's it about? 
what, what God is doing through this messed up family. And God did something amazing through this messed up family. And it is messed up from the flow up, as Pastor Eric Walker would say. It's messed up. And yet God manages to do something amazing. God works the salvation of the world through this family, this family. And if God can do that with this family, don't you think God can still do something with your family? So as Karen would say, don't be impatient. It's not all coming together yet. It's probably going to take some time. So just slow down and be patient with these people. Just be patient with your family, understanding that God is going to do his perfect work. It may not be as fast as you would like, but just let God, let God write this story. You probably need to just give up your dream of the family you wish you had because you really are stuck with the family you got. You don't get to start over with another man and hope that this one's better. No, 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 no. All through Scripture, the, the, the emphasis is the marriage you're in right now, you make it work. You make it work. And you just allow God to work his purposes out through your family. There is no family, no marriage. There is nobody beyond hope. And there is no family in which God does not long to uh, write that story out in a way where everybody's happily ever after. Your family too. So what's God doing with your family? It's hard to know. It's hard to see. You just need to trust him. You just need to trust him. What God is going to do with your family, if you give him all the pieces, is going to be glorious. But you just have to trust him. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Anything? Next week, let's talk about stepkids, okay? Let's talk about what it is to, uh, to, to parent and, and come together uh, from a children's perspective. Rod. Unrelated to tonight, we have a choir rehearsal in a few minutes, and we have three little kids that need somebody to watch them. If you're on the child care approved list and you can watch three children until 8.30, just come back to the choir room, please, and help us out. That'd be great. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's pray together, you all. God, we love you. We thank you for our families. Lord, we thank you for our husbands, for our wives. We pray tonight, some of us, for ex-wives and ex-husbands who make our lives difficult, but with whom we share children and a history and perhaps a future in you, Lord. Help us to be kind and tender-hearted toward everyone, even those, Lord, who have hurt us so desperately or those we ourselves have hurt. Lord, life if we live it long enough, is messy. And the only way forward is the gospel. The only option for us is forgiveness. The only hope, Lord, is in you. So help us, Lord, to trust you, to somehow give our families over to you, Lord, to, to make sure, Lord, that you are Lord over our own hearts so that you can begin to be the Lord over our homes. Lord, I pray for men in this room tonight, Lord. Those who have never married, Lord, I pray for their future. Lord, those who will be married one day, I pray for the women, the wives, Lord, that they will be joined to. Will you make these men to be good husbands who can make promises and keep them, know how to treat a woman, Lord. The single women in the house, Lord, will you bless them, Lord, and fill them up, Lord, so that they don't go out as empty women looking for some empty man. Lord, fill them up. Make them daughters, Lord, in your sight. Pray for marriages in the house tonight, Lord. 
Some of us are newly or wed. Some of us are longly wed, Lord, but we still know what it is to need you in every season of life and every season of marriage. So, Lord Jesus, help us not to become uh, alarmed, depressed, discouraged by the story of our family where it is now because we've not seen the end of it yet. Lord, the end is up to you. Lord, we trust you to work things out, to bring us peace and harmony, to bless our children. And somehow, Lord, help us know what it is to be in the family uh, of you in Christ's name. Lord, help us to love each other as brothers and sisters. Help us, Lord, to love you most of all in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. Have a good week.